This is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a cloudy and dark day. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them into their own land. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will tend them with good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in a good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. Second reading is from Luke 19. It's on page 966. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of, because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, because today I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of all my possessions to the poor. Lord, and if I have exhorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, guys, for reading so well. Um, My name's Andy Pierce. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the student ministers here at Church by the Bridge. Um, Why don't we pray before we get stuck into this great passage? Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you are a speaking God. And we pray, Lord, tonight that you would delight our hearts that you would make our path straight, and that we might glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the words church and scandal are pretty ugly when they appear in the same sentence, aren't they? And all too often, they do. Just this week, someone sent me a trailer for a new TV show in America, one of those fly-on-the-wall things called Preachers of L.A., And as the title suggests, it follows six preachers who live in Los Angeles. Uh, And the thing that makes this uh, TV show newsworthy, primetime worthy, is the scandal. Uh, These preachers are blinged up to the eyeballs. One of them drives a Bentley. One of them drives a Ferrari. Another one's got a Bentley and a Ferrari. They all live in these massive celebrity houses Uh, One of the preachers has a child with a woman who is not his wife from the congregation. And uh, uh, they are all completely over the top and uh, blinged up to the eyeballs. See, it's the scandal 
of these preachers that has got the trailer half a million views in just a few weeks and will make it a number one hit when it goes live in a few weeks' time. Tonight, uh, we are finishing our series on sharing our faith, and we're talking about that in relationship to church, uh, what, church should be lo- what church should look like, what our mindset should be with regards to church. And tonight, I want to challenge you, Church by the Bridge, to be a scandalous church. Not because someone's run off with someone else's wife, or Paul Dale's got a secret stash of sports cars, or Dan Webster uh, flies a Learjet down to Melbourne. Neither of them do, by the way. Neither of them do. I'm talking about the scandal in this passage tonight. And I want to charge you, Church by the Bridge, to be a scandalous church. Not in the wrong way, but in a Luke 19 way. A scandalous church who are a bunch of scandalous people saved by a scandalous God who love and get behind Jesus' scandalous mission. And we'll look at each of those three, three things in turn tonight. So firstly, a scandalous people. Have a look with me at Luke 19. It is on page 966 if you close your Bibles. Luke 19, uh, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief chief tax collector, and he was rich. Over the past three weeks, we've been tracking Jesus on this road trip from Galilee to Jerusalem on his mission to die, rise again, and then reign as king. And he's almost arrived at Jerusalem at this point in Luke's gospel. But before Jesus gets there, Verse 1, we meet him as he gets to his equivalent of the suburb of Tempe. Uh, It's Jericho. It's one of those places that everyone just passes through and never stops. Unless you want to buy something from Ikea. Before we get to Jerusalem, Luke introduces to us just one last character. And he's been doing that all the way through the travel narrative. If you've never read it, from chapter 10 through to uh, chapter 19, Luke puts in the path of Jesus these characters who tell us what it does and what it doesn't mean to follow Jesus. And tonight we meet Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a nasty piece of work. We're told in verse 2 that he is a chief tax collector, which means he was a traitor to his fellow Jews. He was in bed with the, uh, the, the, the occupying Roman Empire, And he is rich, we're told. He's made rich by running an extortion racket. That's there in verse 8. Forcing extra cash out of people. No doubt with some Roman muscle to help him on the way. But the gangster image is ruined by verse 3. Look at me. Luke says, he was trying to see who Jesus was, uh, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. A short man. And we start thinking, oh, poor little Zacchaeus, and singing, Zacchaeus was a little wee man, a little wee man was he. He climbed into a sycamore tree for Jesus he wanted to see, or whatever it goes. Do you remember the song? Well, in the ancient world, being a short man meant that you weren't rich. And his size 
only goes to show us the measures he had to go to to extract cash from people. You see, we're not meant to think Lord Farquhar from Shrek when we see Zacchaeus. We're meant to think Bricktop from Snatch. The villain who is the nasty piece of work who will chop you up into little pieces if you do not hand over the cash. He is a nasty piece of work. And if you read Luke's gospel, you know uh, uh, Luke says that the rich don't get into the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus has been saying all along. And nasty rich people, they really don't get into the kingdom of heaven. Zacchaeus is morally and spiritually lost as he is physically lost in this crowd. He was a Jew, but he swapped God for the enemy's team, the Romans. He swapped love for his neighbor for coercion of his neighbor and self-love. Now imagine with me, look at Zacchaeus and imagine with me the person you least expect to be a Christian, the person you'd least expect to find in a church. What are they like? Think about them. Morally, they're, they're a million miles away from God. They're probably assorted. They don't really have a care in the world. And so they are hard and they don't really care about God. They are Zacchaeus. They're Zacchaeus. But so are we. See, what Luke is doing here in showing us Zacchaeus is holding up a mirror and saying, this is you. Because on our own, we are Zacchaeus. And so is every single person we know. Without Jesus, we are lost. On the face of it, we look all right, don't we? We've, uh, we've got friends, we've got a job, we've got a community, we've got Foxtel. But we're Zacchaeus. We may be materially rich, but without Jesus, we are spiritually bankrupt. That goes for every one of us here and every single person we know. We may be nice moral people with chinos and iPads, but we are no better than Zacchaeus. We are no better than Zacchaeus, and we are no worse than Zacchaeus, because he's put there as this nasty little man. See, we are lost. Uh, The Bible says we are lost. We're spiritually bankrupt, living under God's judgment, living lives under God's judgment. And the pressure and the pain and the hurt and the suffering that we feel in our lives, the real stuff that hurts us, that is just testament to lives lived under the judgment of God. That's good to remember, isn't it? Because we can often look at a place like this church and think, uh, look at it in Facebook mode and think, look at all the pretty people, look, look at all the sorted people, look at their nice website, their slick surfaces, services, their good music and their handsome pastor. We can look at them and think everyone's got it sorted. But scratch the surface and we're all pretty dysfunctional. We are lost and broken. We're lost and broken just like everyone else in every church on the planet. So I wonder whether you see why church by the bridge is already a scandalous place. It's already a scandalous place because it's filled with people like Zacchaeus, like you and me. It's filled with people like Zacchaeus, but there's plenty of room for plenty more, isn't there? 
when we start looking at each other and seeing lost people, when we start looking at the friends that we live amongst and seeing them as lost Zacchaeuses, then surely that will drive us to action. We want to see lost people found. If someone was physically lost, we'd be plastering their picture all over Facebook. But what about the spiritually lost? We'll want to find them. We want to uh, look out for each other if we see each other as lost, to keep each other going with Jesus, trusting our Savior. Because we know a Savior who loves the lost. He loves the lost. And he loves a bit of scandal. So second point tonight, we're saved by a scandalous Jesus. Have a look at me at verse 4. Pick up the story there. Uh, So running ahead, Zacchaeus climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, because today I must stay at your house. Uh, By this point in in Luke's gospel, we already know that Jesus pulls a crowd. And we already know that if you've got an ailment and you throw yourself in front of Jesus, there is a good chance that he will sort you out. However, what happens with Zacchaeus is completely unexpected because he's climbed this sycamore tree. He wasn't expecting Jesus to see him. He was just expecting to get a glimpse and climb back down from the tree. Jesus doesn't, uh, 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 he doesn't shout out to Jesus. He doesn't throw himself on the road. But Jesus also doesn't just, just, doesn't just walk by. He looks up in the tree and says to Zacchaeus, Hurry, come down, because today I must stay at your house. You can imagine One Direction doing it, can't you, with some random fan going to their house for tea. You can imagine them doing it. But Jesus knows Zacchaeus by name. That fan would be anonymous. Zacchaeus knows, Jesus knows Zacchaeus by name. And he urgently calls him. He says, today I must stay at your house. Now, if I said that to you, you'd think that's pretty rude. Jesus says it to Zacchaeus and the crowd think it's scandalous. Have a look with me at verse 7. The crowd are furious. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. You see, lodging, going for dinner in someone's house, was the first century sign of acceptance and forgiveness. You've got to remember just how much grief Zacchaeus has given these people. He's, given these, uh, he's, given, he's extorted money from these people. So no wonder they're not happy. This is a bad publicity stunt for Jesus. If you're going to go to someone's house, don't go to Zacchaeus's. And the crowd are understand, understandably furious. Who does Jesus think he is going to Zacchaeus's for tea? Doesn't he know who Zacchaeus is? Zacchaeus is scum. Doesn't, he know, doesn't Jesus know that I've bought my granddad to get his legs fixed? It's out of order, Jesus. Scandalous. We saw a similar reaction last week, didn't we, with the older brother as the father welcomes the younger son into the house and kills the fatted calf. It's scandalous, but it's difficult to appreciate the full scandal of what Jesus does here. In the same way that it's difficult to appreciate the extent of the scandal uh, caused as Jesus invites himself 
into the lives of people like you and me. Because uh, that's Jesus' job, isn't it? You've seen the posters. God loves and Jesus saves. That's what they do. And we get thinking that God is somehow lucky to have me. The church is in decline and God should be happy with any bit that he gets of me. And we start to think of ourselves, think like we are doing God a favor by serving him, talking about him, or coming to church. It's really difficult to understand the scandal of someone becoming a Christian, isn't it? I want to um, read a little bit from this book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God by Don Carson, just to give us an idea of how scandalous it is for Jesus to accept someone as a Christian. I'll read from, from his book. Picture Charles and Susan walking down a beach hand in hand at the end of the academic year. The pressure of the semester has dissipated in the warm evening breeze. They have kicked off their sandals and the wet sand squishes between their toes. Charles turns to Susan, gazes deeply into her large hazel eyes and says, Susan, I love you. I really do. What does he mean? Well, in this day and age, he may mean nothing more than he feels like testosterone on legs and wants to go to bed with her forthwith. But if we, he, uh, if we assume he has even a modicum of decency, let alone Christian virtue, the least he means is something like this. Susan, you mean everything to me. I can't live without you. Your smile polexes me from 50 yards, your sparkling good humor, your beautiful eyes, the scent of your hair, everything about you transfixes me. I love you. What he most certainly does not mean is something like this. Susan, quite frankly, you have such a bad case of halitosis, it would embarrass a herd of unwashed garlic-eating elephants. Your nose is so bulbous, you belong in the cartoons. Your hair is so greasy, it would lubricate an eight-wheeler. Your knees are so disjointed, you make a camel look elegant. Your personality makes Attila the Hun and Genghis Khan look like wimps. But I love you. So when God comes to us and says, I love you, what does he mean? Does he mean something like this? You mean everything to me. I can't live without you. Your personality, your witty conversation, your beauty, your smile, everything about you transfixes me. Heaven would be boring without you. I love you. When he says he loves us, does not God rather mean something like the following? Morally speaking, you are the people of the halitosis, the bulbous nose, the greasy hair, the disjointed knees, the abominable personality. Your sins have made you disgustingly ugly. But I love you anyway, not because you are attractive, but because it is my nature to love. And in the case of the Christians, God adds, I've set my affection on you before the foundation of the universe, not because you are wiser or better or stronger than others, but because in grace I chose to love you. You are mine and you will be transformed. Nothing in all creation can separate you from my love mediated through Jesus Christ. Pretty helpful, isn't it? Pretty amazing. Shows us just how scandalous it is when Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house for tea and just how scandalous it is when Jesus calls someone to be his. 
It's radical, scandalous, undeserved love. See, the difference between, really, between a, someone who is a Christian and someone isn't, who isn't is verse 6. Have a look at it. Zacchaeus quickly came down and welcomed Jesus joyfully. He completely obeyed Jesus. Well, I wonder whether our view of God's love is too small. I'm guessing it probably is. And I'm wondering whether uh, our view of what Jesus did on the cross is big enough. Because when we appreciate how scandalous and how radical uh, God's love is, it will surely drive us to radical action, shouldn't it? Of introducing people by telling them about Jesus, telling him about what he's done. I heard of a a dating service once, um, and it was only for beautiful people. So what you did is you took a photograph of yourself, uploaded it, and then the computer told you whether you were good-looking enough to qualify for this dating service. No, I didn't go for it, if that's what you're thinking. Well, imagine if we adopted the mindset of a dating service, a dating agency. Not one for beautiful people, but a dating service for the ugly, the spiritually hideous people like you and me. A dating service that introduces uh, people to one amazingly beautiful but scandalous saviour, Jesus. See, Jesus won't reject you no matter how many skeletons there are in your closet. This Jesus, he will propose to you on the first date and take you as his bride if you are willing. This Jesus will never leave you or forsake you, hurt you or abuse you. This Jesus will take you as you are. He'll take you as broken as you are. But he won't leave you like that. Friends, why wouldn't we want to introduce somebody to this Jesus. He is scandalous. He's completely scandalous, but he is brilliant. See, when we grasp how scandalous Jesus is, uh, we will want to be a church who love Jesus and get behind his scandalous mission. That's our, our last point tonight. That we want to get behind Jesus' scandalous mission. Uh, Zacchaeus is a changed man. Uh, Without asking, um, verse 8, he offers to give half of his possessions to the poor. And then with the remainder, he says he'll pay back four times what he extorted from people. Now, if you know uh, Luke, Zacchaeus sits in contrast with the rich ruler. The rich ruler couldn't sell... Uh, Jesus says to the rich ruler, sell all that you have and follow me. He couldn't do it. Zacchaeus does this without even being asked. This is actually the climax to the road trip we've been following. And finally, we see someone saved. After 10 chapters, we finally see someone saved. And he is the least likely of all the candidates who have crossed Jesus' path to be saved. Zacchaeus receives the ultimate makeover, doesn't he? He goes from scoundrel to saint. 
Uh, Luke puts this here so that we would see what Jesus is all about. He doesn't do it just so we can go, oh, that's nice. He, he puts it here so that we can see that the mission of Jesus is to save and seek the lost. Verse 9, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is one scandalous thing to say. One scandalous mission. That the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's not scandalous uh, because it's in the Bible or because of Zacchaeus. It's because of, of who the Son of Man is. It comes from Daniel 7. And the Son of Man is the, per- the character in the Bible who is given all authority and power by God to rule the world. And yet, he performs the ultimate act of service to save the lost. Imagine if Prime Minister Rudd, Tony Abbott, and President Obama came to church by the bridge tonight and cleaned our toilets. It would be very kind of them, wouldn't it? But it would be scandalous. It would be completely scandalous. But that doesn't come anywhere near how scandalous verse 10 is. See, the Son of Man, the King with all authority, dies a shameful death on a Roman cross. It was illegal even for Roman citizens to talk about crucifixion. And he dies on a Roman cross to save Zacchaeus, and to save people like you and me. It's the scandal of the cross. That's where we're going towards. That's Jesus' mission. And if we are followers of this Jesus, then his mission is our mission. We are called to work alongside Jesus in seeking and saving the lost. It's incredibly daunting, isn't it, that Jesus would call us to help him Seek and save the lost. I think I'd find uh, there would be loads better ways to do it than, than, than asking someone like me. It's incredibly daunting, but it's also an incredible privilege, isn't it? Jesus' scandalous mission is my scandalous mission. And it is my privilege to have that mission. See, uh, when we think of it like that, getting behind this mission of Jesus, it shouldn't be weird and heavy. It should be a privilege. It should be a privilege. And as a church, we can do that. As a congregation, we can do that. We've got some amazing talks coming up in John's Gospel. Why not invite a friend to come along and hear a sermon on John 3.16? You could bring them here and then buy them a burger afterwards. We are also uh, not far away from a Christianity Explored course. There are only kind of eight weeks. Uh, there's only like an eight-week gap between those Christianity Explored courses. That is a great thing for friends to come to. I've had friends go to it. It's a good thing to brush up on the basics if uh, you're already a Christian, but it's a great thing to bring friends to. We put on carol services at church here. So that to make it easy for us to invite friends to. It's not primarily for the anonymous public to come to. It's, a, it's so that it would be easy for us to invite our friends 
to introduce them to this amazing Jesus. So can I urge you to get praying for that Christmas invite. Get praying for who you might bring to our John series. Of course, you might not want to do, uh, do it like that. Uh, I, I've got friends. I've got a friend who had his birthday party two months early uh, so that he could catch his friends before they went away on uni, uni holidays. He invited them along. He invited churchmates. He invited his friends that weren't Christian along. And he knew that they would chat together. And then he gave a short talk explaining why he was a Christian. Other friends I know have had dinner parties where they've just got their mates from church and their mates from work to sit and have dinner together and and prayed and seen what's happened in those conversations. Some friends have done a talk in that context. Uh, But the main thing is is introducing people, people to Jesus. That's been the goal. We as a ministry team here at Church by the Bridge would love to equip you more in helping you uh, share Jesus with your mates. If there's anything we can do, I, I was at uh, our church in London and, and they put on a, a little session just by uh, how to raise particular questions in the office. And that was great. If there's anything we can do, stick it down on your next steps cards and I will hassle Paul to see if we can put those things on. It should be, uh, we want uh, any ideas that would make it easier for you for us as a church to invite your mates to introduce them to Jesus. I want to encourage you to see this place as a resource, to see each other as a resource for helping you introduce people to Jesus and get behind this scandalous mission that we see here. I'm not saying that's going to be easy. It won't. There will be real pressure to keep silence and real things that will cause us to be ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. But in Luke 19, we see the Savior who we follow. And he is in the business of seeking and saving the lost. And he will do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. He will do that. So let's be praying. Let's be inviting Let's be that dating agency. Well, to conclude, if they were to make a TV show, Christians of Kirribilli, what would be the scandal that gets all the YouTube hits? Would the scandal be uh, these people who call themselves Christians, but living like they've never met him, who keep silent about Jesus, who use Jesus as uh, some kind of good luck charm? Or would the scandal be the Christians of Kirribilli who cause scandal by radically proclaiming this amazing Jesus and seeing lives turned upside down as Jesus uh, seeks and saves the lost? Let's pray there. The Apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us not to be ashamed of the gospel, not to be ashamed of your Son, and to know the privilege it is to be called 
to share your son with the world? Would we know the thrill of seeing our lost friends saved and the joy of being a scandalous church for Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen.